Hi, everybody. My name is Tom Jr., and I'm an alcoholic. I'm both a recovered alcoholic and a recovering alcoholic. We spend hours and hours uh, talking about whether we're recovered or recovering, and I think it's both. If we remember that uh, alcoholism is a disease which consists of alcohol plus a physical, mental, spiritual complex, which I call the ism, that equals alcoholism. Now, come next Monday, it'll be 16 years since I had a drink, so I'm recovered. But I still got this real bad. And I'm recovering from the ism. And that is a process that takes a long period of time. I've reached that point in my life now where I have been dry longer than I drank, which is quite a turn. Uh, some people call me the guru of the north. Not many people call me that. Uh, just the people that I sponsor. And uh, this morning on the way down here, I stopped in Hardy's in Statesville. If you've never been to Hardy's in Statesville, you ought to stop there. And I saw a woman in there who reminded me of just how old I really am, Jay. She had on a T-shirt and nothing else but her. And, uh, you know, my age tells on me here. I remember when all women used to wear bras. Do you remember that? Some of you remember that? Yeah. I remember when little girls bought training bras. You remember that, Jack? You're old, aren't you? And my, my sister got her first training bra, and a question was always in my mind. What in the hell is she training? You know? What do you train with a training bra? And see, this one lady brought all that on, and it reminded me of a story that some of you have heard me tell before. It's true. This guy I was sponsoring, uh, when the braless look first came out, Sorry about that, but that's the way I have to put it. He and I were in the Atlanta airport, and we were standing up at one of these hot dog tables having a hot dog and a cup of coffee. And this lady came along the hall, and she was about as braless as anybody we have ever seen. And we transfixed our eyes upon her, as they would say, and we watched her until she was completely out of sight. And, and the rear wasn't bad either, so we watched her for a long ways. And, and my friend turns to me and he said, Tom, that woman sure did remind me of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, how? He said, man, she was self-supporting through her own contributions. <laughs> and that's the way this gal was this morning. She had on a, a shirt that said Sassoon. And the A and the O were really something, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, I'm still a little crazy, and it's kind of nice. It's nice to be crazy intentionally instead of being crazy unintentionally. One of them's fun, and the other one is dreary and despairing. And one of them is a conscious thing, and the other, I think, is an unconscious thing. Now, what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes is a thing called amending, repairing relationships that have been broken through the years because of our alcoholism. If you're a big book student, and I hope that you are, these are steps eight and nine in the program of recovery. Eight says we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine says we made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. But we're going to talk basically, like we always do, about the spiritual way of life. Now, usually when you get a bunch of alcoholics together and you start talking about the spiritual way of life, everybody's mind turns directly to God. I would like you to turn your minds this morning back to where the basis of the spiritual life really is. Key to the spiritual life is relationships. 
That's the key to the spiritual life. The spiritual way of life doesn't mean some ethereal thing that we practice in the hereafter. The spiritual way of life means something that we do right now. It means you and me and what I do to you and what you do to me. That's more than anything else is what the spiritual way of life is. So let's get our thinking out of the cloud and down to the ground here where it belongs. I am a people and you are a people. And we are intimately and utterly connected to a higher power. I'll give you that to begin with. And it's been my experience that the higher power speaks to me through you and speaks to you through me. And that, I submit, is spiritual. I thought this morning, any of y'all remember Nat King Cole? I've got age on my mind. Do you remember Nat King Cole? Let me see your hands. A singer? Great singer. Just a beautiful guy. And I remember this morning the song, the one song that made it for him. And you may remember the song. Uh, it, it, it went like this. There, there was a boy, a very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far over land and sea. A little child and sad of eye, but very wise was he. And then one day, one magic day, he passed my way. And while he spoke of many things, kings and queens, this he said to me, The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Think about that. That's kind of beautiful. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Love. Relationships. The key to good relationships. Love. And I think it is the greatest thing that we'll ever learn and it's probably the most difficult thing to ever learn. And that is to love others and let them love us. And we alcoholics often have a worse time with letting other people love us than we do in loving other people. Somehow we don't feel worthy of their love. We don't feel lovable. And it's the other side that troubles us the most. This is a giving life. A giving life. And there's one other thing I want you to keep in your mind, a little diagram while we talk this morning. There is a thing that the Buddhists call karma. Is anybody familiar with karma? Do you know what it is? Okay, basically, it's a wheel. And let's say, this is me over here, and this is you over here. Now, there's a law connected with karma. Karma is a law. And don't let the fact that it's Buddhist throw you. Any of you from a Christian background, it's called the law of retribution. Okay? Karma says this. Whatever I put onto this wheel will come back to me. Exactly what I sent out will come back to me. In the Christian doctrine, it says, as you sow, so shall you reap. Now, if this is true, if what I do to you ultimately affects me, then I better be very careful what I do to you. Now, some of the things that I did to other people before and after my drinking career and during my drinking career have come back to me. Many of the good things, many of the things that were not so good, all of the things that I have sent out have, like a boomerang, returned to me. And while I'm talking this morning, I want you to keep in mind the connection, the karma, the law of being. Whatever I do to you will be done to me. 
This is one reason, by the way, the great religious teachers of mankind have told us, whatever it is that you want somebody to do to you, you do it to them. Because when it comes back to you, what you wanted will belong to you. And you set the wheel in motion. So keep karma in mind there. It is a law. Now the alcoholic belief system, the things that we believe, did you know you had beliefs? All of us do. And they're ranked in order. One, two, three, four, five. I believe this, I believe that, I believe this, I believe that. I would lay odds that most of us, if we were asked to sit down and put down our five top beliefs, one through five, Jim, we couldn't do it. And yet beliefs dominate our lives. And the alcoholic belief system, and by the way, when I say alcoholic, I'm talking about alcoholics. I don't care if you're man, woman, young, old, black, white, religious, non-religious. An alcoholic is an alcoholic like a rose is a rose. And a part of the alcoholic belief system denies this law of being. Because a part of the alcoholic belief system says this. I can, and I must, and I will live my life alone. I can't trust those other people. Every time I've trusted one of them, every time I've loved one of them, I've been hurt. Every time I've loved somebody, they have hurt me. Question. Were you loving them or using them? Were you loving them or being a parasite upon them? Do we really know what this thing, love, is? That literally makes the world go around that the nature boy said is the greatest thing we'll ever learn. Do we really understand it? Now, in talking about repairing relationships, because relationships are the stuff out of which life is made, Let's make several points. First, people are social beings. That is, we have to do with one another. We live in a world in which we have to do with one another. And the fabric of our lives is woven mainly out of our relationships with other people. If you don't believe this, Answer these questions to yourself. How can you feel liked unless somebody likes you? How can you feel loved unless somebody loves you? How can you feel wanted unless somebody wants you? How can you ever feel important unless somebody considers you important? How? You know, our development as human beings depends on our relationships with others. Let's put it this way. Our growth depends on others. Now we're going to talk about things like spiritual growth and spiritual development this morning because you're in the same condition I am right now. As far as alcoholism goes, alcohol plus ism equal alcoholism. You haven't got an alcohol problem right now either. For all intents and purposes, the alcohol is out of your life. What remains is the ism. And it's a breakdown in these human relationships that is key to what is really wrong with us inside. Now, if our growth depends on other human beings, then when I make the statement, I need you and you need me, I'm not talking like Pollyanna. This is not some idealistic hogwash. It is literally the truth. I need you and you need me. I affect you, and you affect me. I respect you, and you respect me. To each of us, 
feeds on the ideas which come from other people. How else do we grow without this food? And each of us needs the love that only the other person can give him. Those who feel loved and who relate to other people become healthy. Those who don't become unhealthy. Now, what does growing mean? It means starting where I am, I extend myself. I extend myself. I extend myself. I grow larger and larger and larger, and I cannot do this without other people. Any of you ever heard of Abraham Maslow, the noted psychologist? And he wrote, and I quote, The need for love characterizes every human being that is born. No psychological health is possible unless the person is fundamentally accepted, loved, and respected by others. William Glasser, another psychologist, wrote, Every human being has the need to love and be loved. Now, from these facts, you can see that if we want to grow as a person, we need each other. I need you, and you need me. It's that simple. You and I, like it or not, are mutually dependent on one another. And if we realize this, we've gained something. Remember this, too. Whatever I do to you, I have done to me. Now, what does this mean? It means that if I hurt you, I hurt me. The book Alcoholics Anonymous puts it this way. Our troubles, we think, are of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. What I do to you, I do to me. We are so intimately connected, it is unbelievable. The key element in all good relationships is love, but let's give it another word. This is a giving life. It always has been, it always will be. It is a giving life. What you give to me helps me and you. And what I give to you helps you and me. That's the way it is. When both of us are giving, there's no need for anybody to take when I'm giving to you and you're giving to me, there is no need for anybody to take from anybody else. And that's the way it ought to be. In a good relationship, a good one, giving and receiving are the same thing. They're absolutely the same thing. Don't believe it? I have a relationship with you and I do something for you that makes you happy. When you do something for somebody that makes them happy, Punchy, doesn't it make you feel happy? Huh? When they grin, don't you grin? Again, the connection is very close. By giving a person happiness, you can be happy. Now, relationships break down when we try to take rather than give. That's when they break down. When we try to get what we want from others, we're no longer relating to them, we're using them. When we try to take what we want from others, we're no longer relating to them, we're using them. And we break one of the basic laws of human life. Want to know what that law is? We must use things and love people. We use things. We love people. 
That's the difference. And when we break this law, when we begin to use people as if they were things, instruments, that we use to get what we think we need, and most often we don't really need it, we have broken a basic law of human life. We're taken. We're not given anymore. Now, we're alcoholics. <clears throat> alcoholics should especially realize that one of the primary reasons for our unhappiness and our suffering has been our total inability to form a good relationship with another person. Our total inability to form good relationships with other people. Now, this is not my idea. This comes from Bill W., one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, one of our biggest shortcomings is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. What is a partnership? Mutual dependency. I depend on you. You depend on me. You know, rather than be a member of the cast in the drama of life, I always wanted to run the show. I wanted to produce it, direct it, star in it, make the sets, make the costumes, and tell all the other actors what to do. And I'm not unique. I'm not unique. Read pages 60 to 63 in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Because most people like to direct the show. I did too. I was no exception. My show was a disaster. But why was it that I had to control it so bad? Because I was afraid that unless I used you and controlled you and manipulated you, I wasn't going to get what I thought I needed. Fear. Fear is one of the things that causes us to try to take things out of life instead of put things into it. And here's the real crux of the whole matter. The basic problem which underlies all other problems. Self-centered. We're going to say it to you over and over. Self-centeredness. When a person, me, you, anybody else, orients his life toward the satisfaction of his own needs, he is self-centered. And the book Alcoholics Anonymous says we think that is the root of our troubles. In other words, we try to change karma. We put the attention here. We try to take from other people rather than give to other people. We change the direction of karma. Uh-oh, problem. It continues on around. And who is it that's got the control now? And who is it that, that initiates the action now? Not us anymore. It's them. We become utterly dependent on them for our actions and our reactions when we don't take the initiative. Now, according to Bill W. again, he gave a couple of reasons why we didn't form good relationships. I love this word. Our egomania, he said. Our egomania digs two disastrous pitfalls. Listen to him. Either, he said, we insist on dominating the people we know, or we depend on them far too much. Think about your relationships in the past, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not, think about those relationships. The people you so-called loved. The people you were married to. Did you dominate them? Or did you depend on them? Or were you like me? Were you like a rock lizard? It depended on my condition, which one I did. Take my wife. When I was up, I dominated 
You do this, you do that. I was the drunk who came home after he was dry three months and set his wife down and said, I'm very spiritual. Straighten up or get the hell out. Domination. But there's another side to that. Man, when I was coming off a drunk and I was hurting, I was utterly dependent. But you know the one thing I did not have with my wife, Jay? I was either up here or down here. I had no partnership with the person I loved the most in the world. None. We depend on them too much, Bill said, or we dominate them too much. Now let me point out something to you. When you dominate other people, you're using them. And when you depend on them, you're using them. And if you're using them, you ain't loving them. And you're not related to them. They're a thing and you're a thing. And this thing uses that thing. And remember, you use things. You love people. Please keep that in mind. Now what happens when we dominate and depend? If we lean too heavily on people, they'll fail us. They will fail us because they're human too and they cannot possibly meet our demands. And when we try to manipulate or dominate other people, you know what they do? Jim, they revolt. To hell with you, Jack. I got a part in this show too. You may be the director. I quit. So if you depend on them too much, they fail you. And if you dominate them, they fight you. Now, selfishness either through dominance or dependence always produces one of the things that we hate the most and have the most of loneliness if you depend on people too much they go away if you dominate them too much they go away and who's left you right by yourself isolation and loneliness and dominance and dependence hurts other people also because when you're trying to take from other people what you think you need from them, you are not filling their needs at all. Now, understanding human relationships is vital to us alcoholics. It is vital to us alcoholics. Because according again to Bill W., listen to this, please, quote, defective relations with other human beings have almost always been the immediate cause of our woes, including our alcoholism. Listen to that again. Defective relations with other human beings have nearly always been the immediate cause of our woes, including our alcoholism. Did you ever get drunk at anybody? Did you ever show him when he made you mad? Did you get drunk at him? Did you ever get drunk at your husband or your wife? Did you ever get drunk at your boss? Who'd you hurt? Did your boss have the hangover? Did your wife puke? Who did you hurt? But you know, many times the precipitating cause, like Bill says, is defective relationships with other human beings, which cause anger, which leads to drinking. So if we want to recover from alcoholism, we better understand just how our relationships have broken down and just how we can repair them. Now, if you think the fourth step is an accident, please think again. 
The fourth step is a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself which leads you to see if you do it right where you have been at fault in breaking down the important relationships in your life. That's exactly what it does. Where have I been at fault? Why do I not have these good relationships? What is it about me that drives people away? We better understand that as we move through this program. You read the statement in the big book, the alcoholic is like a tornado, roaring his way through the lives of other people. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Like a tornado, roaring his way through the lives of other people. Now, let me ask you a question. Can any of us repair the damage of that tornado by just stopping drinking? Come on. I'm going to give you credit for a lot more intelligence than that. So many alcoholics say, all I got to do is stop drinking. And everything will be all right. And it's not all right. So what remains to do? They start drinking again. There's reason for the eighth and ninth step. There's reason for repairing the damage done by that tornado in a painstaking, full, effective fashion. Because if it's not done, the tornado comes back. Or, worse, you're a dry alcoholic, and when you're a dry alcoholic, an unregenerated alcoholic, an unchanged alcoholic, the tornado's worse. I was talking to a person the other day. So-and-so's about to drive me crazy. And I said, well, why? He's quit drinking, hadn't he? And she said, yeah, he's quit drinking, but he has no program, and he's about to drive me crazy. Any of y'all ever been on the wagon? Dry. Jerky, dry, unhappy, unfulfilled. Same old stinking thinking going on, wanting to drink so bad you wouldn't, didn't know what to do. I wouldn't have that. The damage that we have done to other people cannot be repaired by simply stopping drinking. It cannot. We must examine ourselves and find what it is in ourselves that has broken down these relationships. Not what it is in them. What it is in me. I put it out. What is it in me? The responsibility is mine, whether I like it or not. I am responsible for what I am. I am responsible for my life. Not you. There are some good reasons why we need to make amends to all the people we have harmed about our self-centered behavior. And we'll give you some of these reasons. They're not secret, but maybe you haven't thought of them. Do you know that the only way to break the cycle of isolation and loneliness that's been created by alcoholism is to stop being concerned with ourselves and start being concerned with other people? Stop being concerned with ourselves and start being concerned with other people. Start giving to other people what it is that we want ourselves. And I point out to you again, it shall return. You want to be not isolated? Give. Get out of the getting life. Share. Give. You'll no longer be isolated. We need to change the focus of our attention from ourselves to others. Focus our attention 
on others instead of ourselves. Now, when we focus our attention on others in the sense of making amends and undoing the damage we have done in the past, this is the beginning of the end of isolation. This is the beginning of the end of isolation. The eighth and ninth steps bring us back into relationship with other human beings. Reties the knot, if you will, and lets us rejoin the human race. In the fifth step, you've admitted to God, to yourself, and another human being the exact nature of your wrongs, and you've come close. But until you go out and try to repair that damage done in the past, the knot's not tied. Now, second good reason for the amends is our behavior has produced a large mass of guilt, which has caused us to dislike ourselves very much. Now, I'll tell you something. If you're not guilty over what you've done in your life as a result of your alcoholism, then I have serious doubts that you're an alcoholic. Let me say that again. If you're not guilty over the things that you've done in your life, through your alcoholism, then I have serious doubt if you're an alcoholic. Alcoholics are loaded with guilt. You know why? Because we're so moral. My God, we're more moral. We have moral standards, a lot of us, that God himself couldn't live up to. Honest. Extremely moral people. People look at us and say we're morally weak. We're not morally weak. Our practice of it is weak, Jay. But the ideal moral system that we have boggles the mind. And if you've got a high moral system, you are going to suffer from high levels of guilt. How do you get rid of the guilt? Undo those things that you've done to make you feel guilty. Not say to yourself, well, I'll never do that again. Undo what you've done. That's what amending is about. That's one thing it's about. Undo what you've done. Now, if you're feeling guilty about yourself and you know that your opinion of yourself directly affects your opinion of others, how in the world are you going to have a good opinion of anybody else until you have one of yourself? Think about that. What I think of me deeply affects what I think of you. If I don't like me, I ain't going to like you. And I'll tell you something, for a long time in my life, I not only didn't like me, I hated me. And you want to know something? I hated you too. Now, if, I went, if you go back to the people you've harmed and confess your wrongs and say, really, I want to straighten this out. I really want to straighten this out. That releases the guilt. Another reason for amends. Memories. The memory of the wrongs you have done to other people will continue to affect your behavior until you have made an attempt to right the wrong, so to speak. You cannot forget it. Until you've cleaned up the garbage of your past, you can't have a new life. Until you've cleaned up the garbage of your past, you cannot have a new life, and this is a fact and we can't ignore it. Part of the process that we're going through, really, in steps 5 through 9 in the program, is a thing called catharsis. And that's a transliteration of the Greek word which is pronounced the same. Anybody know what catharsis means? What does it mean? Huh? Laxative. Like a laxative. Right on. Okay. Catharsis is the ex-lax of the alcoholic. Steps 5 through 9. 
The word means cleansing. Getting cleaned out. And this is what I mean by cleaning up the garbage of your past. Old thoughts, old memories, old feelings, old behaviors are cleaned out. I like that a lot, a laxative. Yeah, that's all right. Now, there are other reasons for making amends. Many other reasons. You feel better about yourself, feel better about other people. You go to that guy that you hated so much, you're sure he's going to make demands on you that you can't meet and he doesn't make them. He smiles and hugs your neck and maybe even cries a little bit and says, I love you, always did. And you wonder why. I'll never forget those times. I went back to the president of the college when I had to make amends to him after I got sober. And the uh, president of the college I always thought was against me, Jay. Tried every way he knew to throw me out of school. The only reason he couldn't throw me out of school is because my picture was in the paper too often. See, I was an outstanding student, 3.94 average. President of my class, all these other things. He couldn't throw me out of school. See, I'm a kind man. I set it up so people couldn't do to me what they ought to do to me, and that hurt this man really badly. I was one of the first campus revolt leaders. Do you know that? I led a riot on campus. That's pretty silly. I was 28 years old, you know. But I went back to this man, and I told him that I was sober, that I wanted to stay that way. And then my sponsor told me, and that's the only reason I had, my sponsor told me I better go back and straighten up what I could straighten up, and I want to straighten up things. And he looked at me in tears in his eye. He said, I love you. And he said, I always knew you'd straighten up. I just wondered when. And I said, hey, if you knew I was going to straighten up, why in the hell didn't you tell me? Everybody seemed to know I was going to straighten up except me. I never knew that. They kept secrets. But see, I thought this man would make demands. Yes, I'll forgive you if you'll do this and this and this and this. No demands. You know, all that he wanted was relationship with me. He wanted me to love him like he had loved me. That's all he wanted. And I could give you story after story, Jim, just like that. That's all people want from us in the long run. Because every person needs love and needs to love. It's that simple. We've got to clean up the garbage of our past. Keep in mind, will you, our growth depends on our relationships with other human beings. And no more, nowhere is this more important than with alcoholics who have learned or will learn that no man, no woman is an island unto himself. Now, let's drive it home. Our sobriety, ours, yours and mine, is largely dependent on our relationships with other people. Mind you, I am not discounting a higher power. I'll say it again. Our sobriety depends mainly on our relationships with other people because it's through these relationships that the saving power comes. Our willingness to make amends to the people we've harmed is a giant step in the direction of good human relations. Now, any of you ever wondered how to make amends? It's in the book, you know. It's amazing how many people in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous wonder how to make amends. And it's in the book. We're going to go through it. How's it carried out? One of the fundamental principles involved in the prevention of guilt and anger which block good human relations is the principle of admitting it when you're wrong. The principle of admitting 
when you're wrong. Most of us don't practice this principle. As a matter of fact, most of us during our alcoholism and after our alcoholism and before our alcoholism always point and look at and focus upon where others have been wrong. And that creates guilt. When I don't admit that I'm wrong, when I'm wrong, it creates guilt in me. And when I look at the wrongs that other people have done, what would you think that creates in me? Anger. Distrust. Fear. And these things are stored up in me, and they were stored up in me for a long time. Guilt over my own behavior, anger toward the behavior of others. And it troubles me all the time. And when you're troubled, and when you're hurting, and you're an alcoholic, what do you do? Huh? Drink a little hooch? Take a couple drinks of that flit? Go find you a place where you can have good relationships like I did under the viaduct in Raleigh with the winos. But when you can admit your wrongs, you're going to feel better about yourself and other people. Now, I went a long, long time in my life without ever really admitting my wrongs, accepting responsibility for what I had done wrong. And when I got into this step in the program, I had a long list to take care of. Do you know when I finished my last amend? When I was sober 14 and a half years. That was the last one, Jim. There was a psychiatrist, okay, that I felt I had harmed. And it took me 14 and a half years to find him, and I found him, and I called him, and I talked to him. You know what the man said? Just like the president of the college... He says, I have nothing but the fondest memories of you, Tom. I said, you must have been crazier than I was. The man had to throw me out of the psycho ward. Any of y'all ever been thrown out of a psycho ward? I was. But it was their fault, not mine. <laughs> All I did was come in drunk and whoop up on another patient. You know, it was their fault, not mine. I believe that. Everything that happened to me was their fault, not mine. Never my fault. Always copped out. Now... Here's the first step in making amends to the people you've harmed. It's so simple, it's pitiful. Make a list. Now we begin making this list when we're taking the fourth step. Make most of it when we're taking the fourth step. So we make a list. How long a list? All depends on how thorough you are. They tell us in AA, year by year, we walk back through our lives as far as memory will reach and construct a list of people who have been affected by our bad behavior. This is the eighth step. Walk back through our lives as far as our memory will reach and construct a list of those people we have harmed by our behavior. The next step is to be willing to make the necessary amends. Be willing to make the necessary amend. To take whatever action is necessary to straighten out the broken relationships in your life. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you get to this step and when you consider becoming willing to go back to these people, fear is apt to set in. And rationalization is going to be right behind it. I have sat around AA meetings and heard people who did not want to make amends use rationalizations like this. Completely ignoring the amends that were present and that they could make, they said, I'm broke and most of my amends have to be made in California. How am I ever going to do it? 
or the people that I've hurt most are dead. This is alcoholic rationalization. We always think of what we can't do, never of what we can do. And you might say to this person, what about your kids? What about your wife? What about your boss? They're right there with you. Why are you talking about what you can't do? And I'll tell you something, if you're really willing to make amends, all these things will be taken care of. Okay? You can make amends to the dead ones. It's possible. There are ways to do it. Okay? People that you've harmed who are now dead. Want no simple way? Because there's guilt there. There's guilt there and we've got to get out the guilt. Sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper and write them a letter. Write a letter to the dead person and tell the dead person exactly what you've done and exactly what you're willing to do to make it right. It has the effect of getting that guilt out of your system onto paper. And then read that letter to your sponsor or to an AA friend and tear it up and throw it away. You're done with it. You've made your man. Now, how about all of those in California that I can't get to because I just don't have any money? The first two years I was in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I had no driver's license. I was never supposed to drive again. Permanent revocation. Five years probation. And I had amends to make. I wrote letters. And when I was able to see them, I went to see them. First, I wrote letters. When I was able to go see them, I rode the Greyhound bus. And I had some in West Virginia that I had to make. And i got to tell you this story. In West Virginia, I'm on five years probation. I can't leave the state of North Carolina, right? I got sued. See, I drove under a tractor trailer one night when I was blacked out in Wheeling, West Virginia. And I stayed in traction in the hospital about three and a half months and I almost died. And while I was in the hospital, people were awfully kind to me. Awfully kind to me. Money was left on the bedside table. My wife and daughter were taken care of. And when I left West Virginia, I was on drugs. And I never said a word to anybody. And I felt like I owed amends to these people. And I had no way to get to West Virginia. I got sued. That truck driver whose trailer I ran under, Jay, I never hit the cab. I went under the trailer. But all of a sudden, he developed mental anguish and lower back pain. Does that sound familiar to you? And he sued me for a quarter of a million dollars. And my company for a quarter of a million dollars. I didn't have a quarter of a million cents. My company was very rich, and he knew it. Okay? He wanted that bread. I went to my probation officer. I said, I got a subpoena here. I got to go testify in court for the defense. He said, I, you're on probation. But he knew I was sober and he knew I'd been that way for 18 months. He said, the paperwork will take too long. Go ahead. Just don't get in trouble for God's sake. Well, I didn't have a top coat and it was wintertime. So I borrowed a top coat one of my friends that I worked with at the college where I was working. And I got me a plane at company expense, Jay, and took off to West Virginia. I'm a defense witness, right? So I go into the, lawyer of the def- uh, into the lawyer's office, the defense attorney. He is also the judge in that area who could put me in jail if I told him the truth about that accident, okay? And he got telling me what to say when I got to court. And I said, it's not the way it happened. He said, how did it happen? I said, I don't know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I was in an alcoholic blackout. And I'm a member of AA now, and if I'm going to stay sober, I've got to tell you the truth, and I'm going to tell you the truth. And he and his partner worked with me for four hours and tried to convince me I'd had a concussion and forgotten. I said, no concussion, blackout. Last thing I remember is drinking in a roadhouse. Matter of fact, when I had to wreck, I asked him, where's the other guy? I thought there's another guy with me. I used to see things. You ever see things? And hear things that weren't there. I catch a plane and go back up there and talk, talk to the lawyer about this, and he turns around and calls the insurance man. 
our company's insurance man. He laughed, turns back around. I said, what did the insurance man say? He said, he asked me how fast I could get you out of town. Because I told him you were going to tell the truth if you went to court. Get an airplane back. Couldn't. Couldn't get a flight. Stayed in a hotel. Company expense. Called the Baptist minister up there who had took care of my wife and kid and me while I was in the hospital. He and his flock. Long silence on the other end of the phone. I didn't know what was the matter. He said, guess who we were talking about last night at church? Me. I told him what I wanted to do. I thought the man was going to wet his pants. He was so excited. You're going to do what? I'm going to go back to these people and make them in. I'll be right over. See, I didn't have a car. He did. He took me around and I saw every single one of those people. Every one of them. The man who cut me out of that car. Because it was smushed up like you wouldn't believe. I should be dead. The policeman who never filed charges because he thought I was going to die. The doctor who took nine hours in the emergency room sewing me back together. And never reported that I was drinking because he thought I was going to die. The man who left me $200 in a plain envelope on the side of the table. I got to thank him for it. All of it. So next time you rationalize about those people in California, you owe amends to, please don't ever forget, we got a father. And he loves us. And he'll make a way when the time's right. And I'm not a religious man, see? But I fully believe that. He'll make a way when the time's right. He did. I don't doubt it anymore. Never will. Got a free trip to West Virginia? All expenses paid. We got to finish up 10 or 12 amends. Think about that. Next time you start to say, I can't, put a comma in there. <laughs> say, God can. He can. Now, when you become willing, go out and make the amends. Go out and make the actual amends. This is step nine. May direct amends to these people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Be very careful. There are some qualities that are needed here to make good amends. These qualities are good judgment, careful timing, courage, and prudence. That means common sense, I guess. Good judgment will give you the knowledge of just when, where, and how to make the amends, and careful timing will keep you from rushing in too early or waiting too late. Courage will help you in being honest and thorough, and prudence will keep you from harming anyone else by your admissions. Those qualities. There are some principles which will guide you in making these actual amends before you make them. Before you make them. According to the big book Alcoholics Anonymous, we pray. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We pray. Another thing they advise us in the book to do before taking drastic action which might implicate other people, get their consent. You know, get their consent. So many of us, even with financial things, okay, want to run right out and pay all those bills and get it all done. Result, your wife needs a new coat, she doesn't get it. Your family doesn't get the food they need. Good judgment. Careful timing. Prudence. Okay? Another thing, if you're not certain about how to make a given amend, ask somebody. Talk it over with them. Consult with somebody. 
And the last thing is make sure that nobody else is going to be harmed by your admissions. Nobody. Now, we've got to be willing, honest, have courage, pray, consult with others, consider others' feelings, good judgment, all of these things. Now, let's understand a couple of things. To make amends does not simply mean to go out there and say, Hey, Jack, I'm sorry. Doesn't mean that. That's an apology. That's not an amend. To amend means to repair or improve a relationship by making restitution for the wrongs you have done. It means to improve or repair a relationship by making restitution for wrongs you have done to others. You set right the wrong first by confessing it to the person you have wronged, not to somebody else. And then you express your willingness to do whatever is necessary to repair or improve that relationship. Jack, I did so-and-so to you so many years ago. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. And I'm willing to do anything to straighten out our relationship or to improve it because that relationship is important to me. What would you like me to do? It's kind of frightening, isn't it? What would you like me to do? Second, we should understand what some of the wrongs are that we're going to try to make right. If you're going to make amends for something, what kinds of wrongs are there that you have done? How do we know we've harmed someone? Think about this. You've wronged someone if you've harmed them in any way through your behavior. That means physically, mentally, emotionally, or financially, or spiritually. Any of these ways we can harm people, and we're told we must make amends for all of them. Now, you got your list and you're willing and you're ready to go out and make those actual men. You go to the people whose names you have listed. Go to them directly, face to face. Tell them in complete frankness what you are doing and why. Here's a point that we don't often understand. If you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and if you go to another person to make amends, you tell that person, I am an alcoholic who is recovering through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not only are you there to improve your relationship with that person, Jack, you're there as a representative of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because that person will never forget, so-and-so's in AA, and AA tells them to do this. Did you know that? It improves the image of AA, and if it does that, it improves the chances of a lot of people who might come to the fellowship. Freely admit the damage you have done. Express your willingness to make things right. Please remember, when you're doing this, you don't crawl. You do not crawl. You walk in face to face, eyeball to eyeball. You're God's kid. You don't crawl before anybody. Now, there's some results of the eighth and ninth steps, and they're good ones. If you followed the procedure given in the book Alcoholics Anonymous to the letter as best you could, you're a new person. You've come out of the prison of self. You have great knowledge of yourself. You've learned to understand others. You've reestablished a relationship to a higher power. You've restored good relations with other people by repairing the damage. You're no longer controlled by those damned up guilts and feelings from the past. As one source puts it, you have now entered 
the world of the Spirit. After the ninth step, you have now entered the world of the Spirit. What are some of the rewards? Quote, If we have been painstaking about this phase of our development, we're going to be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit other people. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook on life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us, and we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Period. End of quote. Boy. <laughs> so this is a given life. Yeah. And we actually receive back what we put out. Yeah. Sure do. One psychologist said, if anyone seeks his own happiness and fulfillment, he will never find them. If one does find his own happiness and fulfillment, it will be because he has forgotten himself to seek the happiness and fulfillment of others. St. Francis of Assisi. It is by self-forgetting that one finds. And an obscure carpenter from an obscure town in an obscure country taught us that we should do to the other person exactly what we would have him do to us. That the person that tries to be first, in other words, a self-centered person, is going to be last. And that the essence of love is self-forgetfulness. Now, were these men right? Did they mean what they say? Or were they some sort of kooks? Susan George. But if you learn sobriety in the way it's suggested to you here, You'll be convinced of it beyond the shadow of any doubt. Yeah, they were right. Yeah, they're the sanest men who ever lived. You'll know it. Amends help us to restore relationships with our fellows and thus with the source of our growth as human beings. Source with a capital S. Now let me tell you something. These little arrows up here, this action that I'm putting out right here is called love. doing good to your fellow. The higher power comes right back into your life. And I'm going to tell you something you may not realize. When a human being embraces another human being with real love, both embrace God. Thank you.